0: Hi, I'm Robin Black, and this is Robin Thinks Deconstructing Books That wrecked Us. As children, we are taught to listen to adults and other authorities. But adults teach us very different things, and we end up trying to operate on very different messages. The older we get, the more those conflicting messages begin piling up until we no longer know what is right or true. Deconstruction is the picking apart of these various messages to understand which ones work for us and which ones don't. In this podcast I will deconstruct some of the most popular books in Christianity to determine which ones have harmful messages and what those messages are so you can decide for yourself which ones are worth keeping and which can be thrown away. Okay, so um I've spent the last 2 weeks talking about submission and before that I talked about power and authority. And so today I want to talk about patriarchy and hierarchy. Like when or how can those things be healthy? And is there a healthier way of engaging in them? Okay? And one of the reasons this is actually kind of a passion of mine because um I talked a couple of weeks ago about how I was in a, a Christian theater ministry for 10 years um, for 10 years, I worked somewhere between 70 and 90 hours a week. Okay. A 10 hour day would be a short day for us because, um, part of our job, basically like we stayed in other people's homes. And so part of our job was what we called, um, Fellowshipping, we'd fellowship with our hosts which is basically just socializing but I uh, you know we were staying in people's homes and so that was an important part of our job but there was no like you know you work a long day and then you just go home and chill or veg or you know from from the time I got up until the time almost to the time I went to bed uh, my time was basically dictated by someone else and the worst part of this is I was taught that you know, this was God's will and this is what God wanted from me. And so I think it's fair to say after I got kicked out of the theater company, um, I walked away from church and I think on some level I knew that I didn't have a word for it yet, um, but I needed to start figuring out what was it in my brain that made me believe somehow that it was God's will that I spend 80 hours a week working for 20 to 60 dollars a week. That 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 this is what God wanted from me. I understand why people have so many ang- so much anger against God because I was taught that you know this is what God wants. This has that is so far uh, as possible from what God actually wants. It was men that were telling me that's what God wants, and I think that most of our anger towards God is really the result of men telling us all kinds of crazy things about what God wants. So one of the things that I discovered, you know, when I walked away from the church and I really started questioning all of my beliefs, um, I started reading the Bible for myself. Like, you know, not being told by someone else, this is what the Bible says or this is what it means. I started reading it for myself. And what I started to come to understand is that You know, what I had been taught the Bible means is very, 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 very different than what the Bible actually says. And one of the, you know, kind of examples that I give of this is how um, the Bible was used in colonial America to justify slavery. Okay. So white people used the Bible as a way to justify a very horrific and cruel behavior. Okay. Okay. But that exact same Bible gave an incredible amount of hope to the very slaves that that same book was being used to justify their slavery. OK, so it's not the book that's the problem. It's how it is being used. Um, So I have come to believe that there is a huge amount of truth in the Bible. I have come to I trust the Bible. I don't trust the men that interpret the Bible. I don't trust their interpretation of the Bible. But again and again and again, when I purposely wrestle with the concepts or the or the truths presented in the Bible again and again, I find them to be true. And um, when you, so I've spent a huge amount of time reading. i basically spent about five years of my life doing nothing but reading and I've read um, psychology books and sociology books and I spent a lot of time really searching hard to find books written by women because they're they're more prevalent now but they were a lot harder to find 10 or 15 years ago and so I read a lot of books read written by women and that in and of itself gave me such a different perspective and this is part of why I started Robin Thinks is because I don't think women understand just how much of our worldview is shaped by the values of men and when you read a book written by a woman even if they're basically talking about the same thing it just hits different it's just different and so um, you know you get like Matt Walsh with his little documentary what is a woman and you know trying to define what is a woman and how is a woman different and I think you know the very fact that you want to try and define it that you want to put it in a box that you want to um put a label on it that is problematic right there i deeply believe that women are different from men we have just we have a different vibe we have a different energy there's just something different about us but i don't think it's fair or appropriate to try and label that specifically Um, But I just, I strongly encourage women to just please um, listen to more women, listen to podcasts made by women, Uh, read books made by women, Uh, watch movies made by women. They're just, they're just different. And there's something really, it, it just feeds your soul in a different way. But one of the things that I, I spent a long time studying is this concept of submission, because the Bible does actually talk about submission quite a bit. And so, What that tells me is that it is actually an important concept, but it's just been really misused and mistranslated and weaponized by men. This idea that women are to be submissive to men. I I just I don't believe it anymore. But I do believe that women and men both bring different things to the table. And so I, I the funny thing is, I actually believe in uh, at least the, the base theory behind complementarianism, which is men and women are complementary. But even then, it's not even just men and women. Uh, I talked earlier, I think I talked earlier, about how um, some of the biggest companies in America – uh, ben and Jerry's, HP, Wells Fargo—they were all started by couples, by duos. They were they were founded by men who were complementary, and so I personally believe that two, you know, two heads are better than one. That people make the best decisions when there's more than one person uh, giving their input. The problem is that at some point in time. Someone has to make a decision. And what religion will tell you, what patriarchy will tell you, is that it's the man's job to make the decision. That isn't inherently or necessarily bad. The big question is how much input does he get from others, particularly his wife when you're talking about a married couple, and how much? influence does he allow his partner or his wife to have that's really the big question now um, probably our strongest ideals of hierarchy come from one very specific situation and that is the military there is probably no other organization in the world that has a stronger and more concrete hierarchy than militaries, and that is for a reason, because militaries are literally put in life and death situations. Um, you'll also see this in um, hospitals; have a pretty strong uh, sort of hierarchical situation in terms of like who is in charge and the buck stops with whom. Um, and that is again, hospitals deal with life and death. Um, fire departments have very strong hierarchies police departments have very strong hierarchies and what all of these um, organizations or institutions have in common is that they are making literally life and death uh, decisions on a regular basis so it's actually important in these organizations to have a very strong and clearly defined hierarchy Because they are so consistently and regularly in life and death situations. Um, Decisions have to be made very quickly and they need to be followed without question. Because if you stop and if you question or if you argue, you die. Literally. Okay. The, The truth is, the reality is, however, that there are very, very, very few situations in which... Um, the decisions that you're making are life and death and have to be made that quickly. There are very, very, very few situations and organizations that are dealing with that kind of like life and death immediacy that need that kind of hierarchy. So what ends up happening is like in churches and businesses, they love the idea of hierarchy, but they aren't making those kinds of um, immediate life-threatening decisions. So they want like the power and the authority that a hierarchical structure gives you. But they are not in the situations that demand these same hierarchical structures. Okay, if you think about our companies, the uh, leader of a company is called the CEO, right? What does that stand for? It stands for Chief Executive Officer. That is a military term, your XO. Your XO is your commanding officer. OK, or the executive officer. I um, you have like in businesses, you have the, um, the you know, the, in business, they call it the C-suite, but it's basically the the executive officers. And, you know, they have like an ex- they have an officer's uh, like lunchroom usually or they have an officer's boardroom, which is exactly like if you go on a military base, there's an officer's club. OK, so it's this, so they've taken this, it's called a command and control structure. So businesses have taken this command and control structure. So businesses have turned themselves into militaristic operations and then can't figure out why nobody wants to go back to the office. Um, You know, People are perfectly happy to have a job, but nobody, you know, there are very few people that actually want to be in the military. Uh, People that are in the military join the military for a reason. There are lots of people that don't want to be in the military. And so we don't really want to work for militaristic companies. And the truth is, um, there really is not the need for this militaristic hierarchy in businesses, except that. Uh, it gives these businesses a sense of power and control. It's a command and control structure. That's literally what it's called, this command and control. And so you have um, men that want to run their businesses and even worse, their churches, the way the military runs the military with a command and control structure that is not healthy. It's not healthy in families. It's not healthy in churches. And it's not healthy in businesses. If you wonder why there's so little diversity in like businesses and why it's so hard to introduce diversity into businesses, this is exactly why. If you look at the military, uh, what do you notice about um, soldiers? They all wear a uniform, right? They all look exactly the same. And that's for a reason But the problem is we've taken all of these very militaristic concepts that might actually work in a military when you're literally in a war zone and people's lives are on the line. And then you try and take them into a business and operate a business on those same principles and it doesn't work. And what's even worse is how many people you have trying to Um, run a family or organize a family around these same command and control structures when you think about a family when you think about love like one would hope that you love your spouse and you love your children once again going back to first corinthians 13 love is patient love is kind love does not envy love does not boast love always protects love Um, keeps no record of wrongs okay that's the total complete opposite of a militaristic command and control structure that being said there is one very specific instance or one very specific situation like within a couple or even within a business where a hierarchy is somewhat defensible and that is at the end of the day we're all going to be in situations in which there's no like 100 percent right answer okay uh couples will find themselves in situations like this all the time particularly like when there's um children involved um uh, one parent gets a promotion right and you have to decide but it, it requires a move right so then you have to decide Um, do we stay here or do we move? And life is going to present all kinds of, uh, situations like this in which it's, they're not moral questions. There's not a moral right or wrong. Um, you know, and even there's times in life when, uh, there might, you know, life might present a moral right and wrong, but it still isn't an easy question to answer. And in a perfect world, um, Businesses and company, you know, the leadership of businesses and companies or couples, they would be on the same page. But but that doesn't happen. And the truth is that um, two people can be on the opposite side of an issue and they can technically both be morally right. But it's just, you know, life has complicated decisions. Um, Children have uh, medical issues that come up that You know someone has to make the decision and what can happen is in egalitarian relationships where men and women consider their voices to be equal what can end up happening is you just fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight fight because you both believe that you're right. And so if you believe that one person doesn't have more authority to make a decision than the other person then what can end up happening is you just end up fighting nonstop, okay? The flip side of that is when one person considers themselves to be the decider, which is what usually happens in like patriarchal cultures or, uh, you know, pseudo-complementarianism, which is really just, you know, patriarchy in disguise, then what can happen is men can just unilaterally make a decision that a wife doesn't agree with, but, you know, it's what their religion teaches them is right. But what can end up happening in that situation is it can break up a marriage, Uh, especially when a man makes a decision uh, unilaterally that ends up having a catastrophic outcome. So in thinking through all of this, I kind of began to develop this idea and I call it the 4951 principle and it's I don't actually think that it is good or right or healthy to to just simply say men make all the decisions period Uh, men have all the authority men make all the decisions women you just have to suck it up and go with whatever they say I, I don't think that's a good and healthy um paradigm I think there are a lot of decisions that men don't necessarily want to have to make. And yet I think men feel pressured into making these decisions by a culture, you know, when they're in patriarchal culture, patriarchal culture tells men, you have to make the decision. You are the patriarch. You are the head of the family or the head of the household. And I think they put a lot of weight on men um, that, first of all, is, is kind of unfair. I don't think that uh all men actually want to have that weight and yet this is what patriarchal culture tells them okay um but then the flip side is i think there are a lot of women who don't trust their husbands to make decisions or don't feel heard by their husbands or um they want their husband to make the decision, but they want their husband to make the decision that they want them to make. And that's not healthy either. Um, the There's a movie, um, it's kind of older now, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And the main character, her name is Tula. And so uh, Tula wants to go to, I think she wants to go to school or she wants to take some classes. And she's talking about her how her father will never agree. And her mother tells her, Don't worry, you know, I'll make it happen. And she says, he may be the head, but I'm the neck. So she's the neck that turns the head. And I think this is really true in a lot of relationships. And I think this is how women in patriarchal cultures have sort of made things work is they've figured out how to manipulate their husbands into doing what they want them to. But that's exactly what that is. That's manipulation. And I don't personally think that manipulation is a healthy relational dynamic, okay? I understand it. I understand women in these really staunchly patriarchal cultures don't uh, really have a lot of other options. So, you know, I I don't want to sit in judgment on it, but I I just, I don't think it's the healthiest way to go, okay? Uh, in, In America, some people may know this. If we're ever under attack, Congress has the ability to transfer power to the president so that the president doesn't need congressional approval, okay? But here's what's really important to understand about that is that that is not the norm. That is literally only meant to be when we are directly under attack, okay? So it's a good system. Because in times of peace, things have to go through Congress and we know how that works, right? It takes forever to get things through Congress and there's all kinds of uh, negotiations and compromises that have to be. And that's healthy, okay? Um, It takes a lot to get a a law passed by Congress or to get a bill through Congress and that's on purpose. It should because it has to be something that there is um, a high degree of agreement on. So if we take these principles that were, uh, that are used by our government, that has really kept our nation pretty solid, even with all of the Um, what you might call the political upheaval going on right now you know our system is working the way the system is supposed to work it's it's actually it's actually a good system we have a system of of checks and balances of you know how power is appropriated and under what circumstances and situations it's appropriated and so I think that the same concept holds true for couples in that most of your decisions should be made The way Congress works, there need to be discussions and there needs to be um, compromise and there needs to be cooperation. The way things actually work and what keeps our our country stable is most of the decisions are made by Congress. And the only way in which the president gets to make unilateral decisions is if we're under attack and... Life-saving decisions need to be made, like, immediately, like, boom, 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 okay? This is how, like, healthy power dynamics in a couple should work, which means most of your decisions should be, like, by committee or by Congress. But when you are under attack, then yes, it is absolutely critical and important that you have one like member of the couple, one person in the couple that is designated to be what I call the 51%, okay? So this is the 49-51 principle, right? One person has a 49% vote and the other person has a 51% vote. I would um, strongly encourage you to do one of two things. You either, um, you designate someone as being the 51%. It means when we're under attack and a decision has to be made immediately and we we just don't have the time to like talk about it and fight about it and argue it through, um, you make the decision, okay? Here's what's really important about that. And here's why um, I'm in the process of writing a book. I'm in the process of doing a lot of things. But one of the many things I'm in the process of doing is uh, writing a book called 12 Steps for Everyone, else because when I was you know deconstructing when I was starting to realize I have a lot of really deep spiritual and emotional issues which I've come to understand is really normal because I grew up in foster homes Um, my dad died when I was 18 months old Uh, my mom kind of you know disappeared out of the picture before I was two Uh, I was separated from my sister before I was three you know I lost my whole entire family within the first three years of my life and then I grew up in foster homes and then my mom left when I was 16 years old so I've been on my own since I was 16 years old so it's not surprising that I have a lot of um psychological and emotional uh problems and so when I was like kind of starting to figure this out um because of spiritual abuse because of um really kind of being screwed up by a Christian counselor I just didn't really feel like like therapy was an option for me I didn't really feel like I could trust a therapist and this was um before we really had such a thing as trauma-informed counseling and this was before we really um understood how prevalent religious and spiritual abuse was we didn't have counselors that that were trained in religious and spiritual abuse it wasn't even acknowledged as being a thing yet so you know my options were kind of a a typical or traditional christian therapist uh which i was terrified was just gonna make things worse or a you know secular therapist that i was terrified was going to um just really dismiss my spiritual beliefs and just not help. I didn't really feel like either of those options were really going to help me work through what I recognize as being my main problems. Uh, I started going to some... Like recovery groups, uh, like I went to like an open AA group, but you know I knew I'm like I'm I'm just I'm not an alcoholic, and I know that. But I but what I recognize is that I realize that these support groups or these recovery groups, I recognize that that they have something to offer me, but I just I didn't I wasn't an alcoholic. Um, I did try going to like Al-Anon for a little while, but I wasn't really in a relationship with an alcoholic. So the problem is they have like the right tools, but. Most support groups are really geared towards one specific issue. Um, then I discovered uh, Celebrate Recovery, which solves one problem but creates another one. The problem that it solves is Celebrate Recovery actually recognizes and understands that like what what causes an alcohol addiction is really the same thing that causes uh, a drug addiction. So alcohol is really just like the substance that you happen to abuse but uh, what is driving it, like the underlying cause of it, it, is is pretty universal to all of us. And so I started to recognize, I'm like, oh, I have all of these same problems that an addict has. I just, I'm not addicted to alcohol. I think it would be fair to say I'm a food addict. But I couldn't find, like, a specific group that really seems to focus specifically on, like, my problem so I ended up, I actually ended up writing this book in like 2012, I think. And I didn't realize that it was going to become like my own personal recovery manual. And so it, it was really like the 12 steps that really um, helped me work through so many issues. And I know that, I, you know, uh, therapy is great if you can get it. Um, it's not, it's just not as available to as many people as we'd like it to be. So anyway, so um, I'm working on this book, 12 Steps for Everyone Else. But one of the main things that I think is so important about the 12 Steps is that um, it talks about like a higher power or God as we understand him. And so one of the big things that it helped me do that I think could help a lot of people um, deconstructing is it helps you figure out who is God to you. It helps you it gives you a framework for peeling away all of these things that you've learned about God and really helps you figure out, like, like if no one had ever told me about God or who God is or what God wants, if no one had ever told me these things, like, what would I believe, you know, kind of on my own, okay? So one of the things that I think is, is critically important is, I think it's so important for us to, to believe in um, some kind of force or power uh, something out there that kind of has everything under control so that we don't have to be in control like I I believe that sort of one of the main driving um, underlying forces of most addictions is this idea that you know everything bad that's happened to us in our life uh, we have sort of this idea that Either God made it happen or we were being punished or God allowed it to happen. You know, somewhere in there, uh, we can't believe in a God that would allow bad things to happen to us. Okay. And I think, uh, you know, that's something we kind of have to work through, you know, on our own in in different ways. But when you believe that there's something out there, a force, a power, something in the universe that that has everything under control and that everything is going to work out okay. Like, I don't know how it's going to work out. What it does is it allows you to let go. One of my favorite verses is um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I kind of like this verse in a hybrid of versions. So the King James kind of starts off and it says, um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And then the NIV, I switch over to that because I like how they phrase it. The NIV says, um, he will make your paths straight. And what I love about that is what it communicates to me is uh, I, I can just walk. Like, I, you know, I do my best to try and make the best decisions that I can. But sometimes you have to choose between two bad options. Sometimes there's no good option. Sometimes there isn't a right and a wrong. Um, and, and we all are going to find ourselves in these situations where we have to make these decisions and we have no information to go on. And so what that verse says to me is, it's cool. I can just, I can trust. Like, I'll do my best to gather information or, you know, try to, uh, is there a a moral right or wrong here? Um, Nope. Okay. I just have to make a decision. Okay. Uh, You just kind of eeny, meeny, miny, moe and make the decision. And then, you know, what that verse says to me is that I can trust. It's going to be okay. God will make the path straight in front of me. All I have to do is walk. And God will make it come out okay. And the reason that I think this is so important for couples is if you can acknowledge we together as a couple, we are going to be in situations in which we're going to disagree or we're going to think there's a, you know, there's a right and a wrong, but we just, we have to make a decision and we can't get on the same page. And so what ends up happening is if you can at least make this decision in the spirit of God will make it okay God like like we can't we don't know what we're doing we're just doing the best we can and we're gonna trust that God will take care of it that God that somehow some way God will make it come out okay in the end okay one of the things that I've learned is that my life is so much better and so much easier when I don't believe that the fate of the world is dependent on my decisions or my participation or me. Uh, Some people who follow me on social media may know that uh, during the summer, like every afternoon, I went to uh, the Creek. It's Clear Creek in Golden, Colorado. It's absolutely beautiful place, but I went there every afternoon. And the only reason that I'm able to do that, and and part of the reason that I do it, I I make it a discipline. Like I don't always, there's a lot of afternoons where I'm like, oh, I can't go to the creek, I got so much to do today, okay? Going to the creek is a discipline for me because it's my way of saying, God's got this. God will make this happen when it's time to happen. I have to, um, Donald Miller said something that I love. He said something about, um, Like every morning, just get up and put a little dirt on the pile. You know, we have to do our part, but I think that we totally overestimate like what our part actually is. Like how much we need to participate in making things happen or what we have to do to make things happen. Um, I think that's part of our American culture, the hustle and grind culture, right? Right. Like if things aren't happening, you just work harder, work harder, work harder. Uh, I don't think that's true. We talk about, you know, when you build a business, when you build a company, when you build anything, we talk about it being a marathon, not a sprint. But I think so many people act like like you just have to run faster or run harder and somehow running faster and running harder will make it happen faster. And I don't think it works that way. I don't think life works that way. Um when I was uh, doing I Kiss Dating Goodbye, like the first seven episodes, when I was uh, deconstructing I Kiss Dating Goodbye, I talked about this guy named Matt Canlis, who um, uh, listened to Eugene Peterson, who told him, um, get away from the American church machine. And so he ended up going to Scotland and discovered like a faith or a religion or a church that is the absolute, complete, total antithesis of America. Um, nothing happens. The, the vast majority of his job was just going out and visiting people. Like just knocking on doors and saying hey and having tea and, you know... There was no go, 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 do, 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 busy, busy, busy. There's no um, target metrics and, you know, th- goals we have to hit. And there's none of that, like none of that. And so he made this really beautiful film that I love called Godspeed. It's only like a 30 minute film. I will put the link um, in the show notes. Uh, I encourage you to watch it. It's It's really, it's just about living life at a different pace. And I was really. Um, challenged by that and so that's why it was so good for me to go to the creek almost every afternoon this summer but it was also really challenging because I live in America that is we're surrounded by this idea of work harder work harder do more go faster work harder go more do faster it's exhausting and I just I do not believe that it is what God wants from us i don't believe that that is the pace that god has for us so if as a couple you can acknowledge that sometimes we as a couple or one of us is just gonna have to make a decision we're not gonna agree but a decision just has to be made one person is really as good as the other one of you does not actually have Better answers than the other, okay? Which means you can designate a 51 person. And the reason it's a 49 51 is because it doesn't mean that one person just unilaterally makes all of the decisions. What it means is this anytime that there's a decision that you need to make that you can discuss, you discuss it for as long as you can. You fight over it, you argue, you go head to head, toe to toe, you do whatever you need to do, okay? But I think every couple will understand and recognize when you're reaching a point where um, you've just been fighting, 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 arguing, 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 you're not getting anywhere. And I think you both reach a point where you recognize you are not going to agree on this. You are not going to get on the same page. And that is the point in which, you know, one person, if you designated it this way, one person pulls their 51 card. Okay. And they say, okay. I'm just making a decision. And, you know, if you plan this out in advance and if you have, um, you know, agreed to this in advance, then the 49 person knows that's what you agreed on. And the reason that you do it is because it protects your relationship. Because if you cannot agree and if both of you, you know, have equal, if you're 50-50, you're just going to keep arguing infinitely. You're never going to get on the same page. And then what can happen is if one person, you know, kind of, I don't know, puts their foot down or, or throws their weight around or whatever, and you haven't agreed ahead of time to, to let that happen, then you just keep fighting and fighting and fight, and it will it will deteriorate your relationship. OK, conversely, the other thing is if you're not like a forty nine fifty one, if you don't acknowledge like you only have the tiniest little like extra fraction um it's also not healthy in a couple for one person to to sort of have too much power where they just they have the ability to just unilaterally make decisions and women just have to suck it up or you know because because the same thing will happen in same same gender partnerships or same gender marriages okay so this isn't um uh this is something that's going to be common to all relationships it doesn't matter the gender or the sexes uh, so this is, you, you know, you can take this advice, not take this advice, whatever. Um, but I would just, I, I would encourage couples to to sit down and have this conversation and talk about, you know, the 4951 principle and just kind of, you know, tailor it for yourself. Now, here's the other way you can work the 4951 principle. And uh, in this, I think, I personally believe that churches and businesses should not have one leader or like one CEO I think they should have CEO teams and personally for me I think they should have a man and a woman I think that churches should be led by a husband and wife duo and you know technically we say that they are because almost all pastors are married but you know, just, let's just be honest. Women don't have authority. Women very, very, very rarely have authority in churches and they never have the same authority as their husbands. Um, Women are often like figureheads so that churches can kind of seem to be more egalitarian, you know, because it's PC. Um, So the other way that this works is uh, two people, you get three like chits, you get three. You can you, three designators. They it can be like three quarters. It can be like three. Um, like the military has like these coins that they have. Um, but one way or another, you you get three like fifty one votes. Okay, you each get three fifty one votes. And then what happens is, whenever you're in this like argument or disagreement and you can't come to a consensus, then one person uses their 51 chip. Okay. It means one person says, I'm using one of my, I get to be the decider votes. Okay. And then what happens is, um, you don't, uh, you, you know, you trade them, you go back and forth. Um, so, but what can end up happening in that situation? And, and what, what I, uh, suspect is that what would happen in this situation is that if a man and a woman, both get 351 chips. I think what will end up happening is the woman will end up having all six chips and probably have them for quite some time before she has to give one up. And the reason I say this is because men are very used to making unilateral decisions whereas women are a lot more used to um getting communal input. Like we have to. We don't it's very rare that women get to make unilateral decisions for other people. Um, usually if we're in relationships with men they make the unilateral decisions because they're used to it they're that's what that's how they're raised to believe that life works is they make unilateral decisions okay um but one way or another what ends up happening is uh, each of you gets three chips or chits or however you want to does each of you gets 351 votes um And, and if one of you uses your three before the other has used one of theirs, then you don't get any. And you just, you don't get to make unilateral decisions until the other person gives one of their 51 chips back to you. Okay. So what can end up happening is one person can end up holding all six 51 chips until they reach a point where they feel like, you know, they need to make a unilateral decision and then they can use their 51 chip so you can you just basically keep trading them back and forth but what this does is it um it creates a situation in which in most cases you're gonna try to come to consensus but if you can't come to a consensus it gives you a way a means of sort of Uh, on the spot one person can you know use their 51 chip and say okay I'm I'm deciding to be the decider on this one okay so it's just um it is true that in life we're going to come into situations in which somebody has to make a decision right and if you don't have a plan in place for how that works, you can end up just fighting endlessly over it. And and sometimes even after the person makes a decision, you end up fighting. So the the point of the forty nine fifty one chips is, um, however you structure that, however however you um, however that works, uh, the goal is that as soon as that person puts down their fifty one chip. Um, you both get on the same page that's that's the decision that person has made the decision and now the best thing that you can do is do your best to make that work and I think you know one of the things we need to keep in mind sometimes there isn't a right decision sometimes you just have to make a decision but what can happen is if you don't feel like you both had like an equal say in that that you both were at least able to say your piece before the decision was made that's when you end up continuing to fight even after a decision is made and that can be catastrophic okay so what the you know the the concept behind the 4951 principle is that you set it up ahead of time You, you either designate one person as being the 51 person or you each get three 51 votes and then you just, you know, trade them back and forth or one person uses all three of them and the other person holds their six indefinitely, um, because they're better able to, uh, negotiate and, and make decisions together, um. But ultimately, it's, it's just about holding the relationship together. Uh, you know, I, I think there is a reason, I think there was a beauty and a value in relationships being lifelong relationships. Because I think uh, when we're old and, and you know, we don't have a, a job or a purpose in that sense anymore, I th- you know, I think it's when we're old that we really need our relationships the most. And if we don't uh, value them and care for them and protect them, then when we need them the most, they're not there. Uh, so that's always, you know, my goal is, uh, looking at the dynamics of a relationship and figuring out, you know, how do we make them function in a way that is, that is peaceable and how do we bring contentment and joy into our lives instead of this constant nonstop fighting, 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 fighting. Um, so that's the 49 51 principle. Um, you know, I, I hope that's helpful to you. Uh, probably within the next few weeks, I'm going to be putting out the first episode of Yellowstone Ranch and the American Church. And I'm going to be looking at the ranch itself, like the land, the property, and how that relates to the buildings that we call churches. So uh, if you're interested in that, that will be coming soon. Next week, I'm going to be talking about love and respect and Adam and Eve and how the story of Adam and Eve um, Really has a lot to say about how we got to be where we are today. So I'm going to give you my interpretation of the Adam and Eve story. Uh, whether you think it's a myth, whether you think they were actual people, doesn't really matter. Um, I've studied a lot, and and I think it 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 really has some important dynamics that explain a lot about how we got to be where we are today. If you understand and recognize those dynamics, so I'm going to talk about that next week, and then. I think that's going to be my last week for Love and Respect, and then um, I'm going to be starting The Circle Maker, which is a book by Mark Batterson. Uh, you don't have to read the book. But, you know, it's kind of like Love and Respect or I Kissed Stating Goodbye. I'm going to be talking about the underlying concepts and principles, and these principles are, are found in, I call them the Christian rah-rah books, and they're, you know, kind of like what I've been talking about today, uh, which is very common in American culture, which has Affected the church, and it's this idea of you know, go, 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 do more, do more, 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 more. Um, and that to me is like what the circle maker is. Um, so I'm going to be talking about that. That will, I'll be starting that in two weeks, but next week I'm going to finish off Love and Respect. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up there. Um, just a reminder, I'm going to be doing a limited series blog and podcast on the TV show Yellowstone and comparing it to the American church. Um, you don't actually have to watch the show Yellowstone. You'll be able to you know, follow what's going along or follow what's going on. Um, but that is only gonna be available to my Substack subscribers and my Patreon supporters. So I will leave links in the show notes, but if you uh, want to um, be a part of that, Um, You can either subscribe on Substack at um, substack.com slash robinthinks or you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash robinthinks. Um, Also, I just recently got my uh, Instagram account up and running for this podcast. So if you want to be a part of the Instagram community, Um, I just got it started, so it's still pretty small, so you can get in on the ground floor. Um, You can follow me at RobinThinksPod, and I'll leave that, I'll leave a link for that in the show notes, and also, um, I do have a Twitter account for this podcast, but I'm not very active on it, so you can follow me on my main Twitter account, which I'm really active on, and that's at Robin-Thinks, and I will leave links um, for those accounts in the show notes, if this podcast has been helpful to you at all, please, please, I would ask you to go to iTunes and leave a star rating and a review. Um, iTunes still kind of tends to be the big, um, driver of podcasts. So anything that you can, um, if you can share, um, iTunes or, uh, leave me a star rating, leave me a review, all of those things really help to, you know, kind of get the word out and um, kind of gets Apple to start promoting my podcast. So um, I appreciate your support in any way, shape or form. And I deeply hope that this podcast is helpful to you. And I will see you next week.